So you're in Ecclesiastes chapter number eight. We'll get right into the message tonight. But just uh, right before we do, just a few weeks ago, I was, uh, had a, my tooth was really bothering me. It's been bothering me for a number of months. And so I went to the dentist and I'm sitting in the waiting room at the dentist's office and there's a magazine, you know, you ever been to a waiting room, you know, and it's got the magazines that are spread out throughout the table. And so I saw one that caught my attention. Uh, it, it said on the front, it was advertising an article that you had to open up and read and it said, are you blank enough to be happy? And actually said blank. There was nothing there. Are you blank enough to be happy? Page so and so. And so obviously I picked it up and I opened and I began to look and read and, and, and exactly what you would expect for the article to say, it said, are you wealthy enough to be happy? And it talked about how, you know, uh, how much is enough money, just a dollar more, right? And so it talked about what you could do to make sure that you attain wealth so that you can be happy. And it even said something, I believe it was health was the second one that it talked about. Are you healthy enough to be happy? And it talked about all these different diets and how the average person doesn't get enough sleep and you need more sleep and, and all these different things. Are you healthy enough to be happy? Another one was, are you educated enough to be happy? And it talked about your education and expanding your education and uh, all that you could do to attain the best education that, so that you could find true joy and true happiness. I promise you, it said this, are you attractive enough to be happy? I said, no, no. <laughs> but it, it talked about uh, these different things that you can do to help your pores and help your skin and all these different things that you can do to make yourself more attractive. And, and really, there were several different things that it went over, but this is not new to anybody in here. We live in a world that desires to be happy. And that's exactly what you'll see in the media and the marketing. They're trying to push it out and they're trying to get everything out there into the hands of the consumer so that you can know how you can truly be happy. I promise you, if you just follow X, Y, and Z, you'll live happy, you'll be wealthier, you'll be more educated, you'll be healthier, you'll be more attractive, and you'll be able to be happy. And, and, and that's nothing new, even to this series. I've used a number of illustrations about Forbes magazine and, and articles that I've, I've read. And, and really, we understand that the world has this fixation with being happy and give me happiness so that I can find meaning, so that I can be happy with my day-to-day -day lives. And the reason that they're searching for happiness is because they're not happy. And the reason that they're searching for happiness is because there's a void in their life and everything is meaningless. It's all vanity as we've been looking and we've been discussing and we've been talking about. And so we understand that the world has this fixation. It's glamorized with this, this idea of just doing something else and changing things so that I can attain true happiness. Are you blank enough to be happy? Answer that question tonight. Think about it in, in light of your own life. Am I what enough to be happy? And I want us to look very quickly at what Solomon has to say about that very thing. We'll read one verse and then we'll get into the lesson tonight. But Ecclesiastes chapter eight, I want you to look at verse number 15. All right, verse number 15, it says, then I commended mirth. Now already off the bat, time out. Did you see what he said? And I, then I commended mirth. Um, why, why is that significant? Have you been here for the series at all? He says, I commended mirth. He did not say, I condemn mirth. He did not say that mirth is a bad thing. He didn't say that mirth is undesirable. Now he's starting off by the uh, really contrast to what he said up until this point. Then I commended mirth because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall, uh, excuse me, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. 
It's a very, very different premise that he lays here, and he lays it having laid uh, the premise very in contrast to this idea that you ought to be happy in the things that, that you have in life. I mean, there seems like such a contrast, but you know, I picked up in verse number 15, a lot is said before this, and we're going to look at that tonight, but that's exactly what, what Solomon is talking about, is, is glorying and, and, and enjoying the life that God has given you because it comes from the hand of God. And listen, there there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with the premise that God does not want you to be happy. Did you hear me? Uh, there's something fundamentally wrong with the lie and the idea, especially in our movement that we're in today, that God does not desire for you to be happy. We almost treat it like it's something that we should write off and anything that in regards to what would make you happy and what would bring you joy and bring you satisfaction, we treat it like it's leprous and we have to keep it within a, a far proximity of us because we think that God doesn't want us to be happy. Can I tell you something about the God that I serve? The God that I serve is a merciful God and he's a loving God and he desires for you to be happy but you need to understand that he wants you to be happy and experience true joy that you can only experience, only experience following his direction. I'm not talking about the world's happiness here. I'm talking about true joy that only comes from the hand of God. And so would you agree with me tonight? God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13. Now the God of hope fill you with misery, despair, and condemnation. No, it says, the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. He says it again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they uh, be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to be miserable. No, to enjoy to enjoy the riches that God has given us. He's given us, given it to us with that intended purpose. And that is that we would experience not just any joy and happiness, but true joy and true happiness. God wants us to enjoy our lives. I don't have to re-preach that message. Uh, but a couple of months ago, I talked about that, that very idea. It's okay to enjoy yourself in God's timing and in God's way. He desires that your days be filled with joy, your days be filled with peace. But listen to me, every single time in scripture, there is a direct, are you listening? Every single time in scripture, there is a direct link from happiness to humility. You catch it? Doesn't matter where you look, Old Testament or New Testament, if you find somebody who is experiencing true joy, I'm talking the joy of the Lord, you will see a direct link from their happiness to true humility. As a matter of fact, the article that I read to you just a moment ago or talked about, are you blank enough to be happy? I'd like us to fill it in this evening right from Ecclesiastes chapter number eight. And here's, here's the title of the message tonight. Are you humble enough to be happy? Are you humble enough to be happy? God connects humility and happiness together. Just as humility can bring happiness and joy, we could also derive in contrast to that, that pride and arrogance will bring unhappiness and despair. Humble people are happy people. Can I get an amen there at least? Humble people are happy people. You surround yourself with somebody who's experiencing the true joy of the Lord and you're not in the, in the presence of someone who's arrogant and prideful. I can tell you, you're in the presence of somebody who displays meekness and humility. 
read about this lady that was driving very fast and she was, uh, she was just flying in her sports car down a main highway and uh, she sees the red, uh, red and blue lights and the officer pulls her over. He walks up to the car. He says, roll down the window. She rolls down the window. He says, license and registration. She looks at him with a coy look in her eye, trying to flirt a little bit. And she says, but officer, I thought that police officers didn't give tickets to attractive people. He said, we don't, license and registration. <laughs> Isn't it funny how God will bring about things in our life simply to bring us to the understanding that we're not nearly as cool as we think we are. We're not nearly as elite as we think we are. We're not nearly as special as we think we are. Uh, we find that there is a direct link to humility and happiness in Ecclesiastes chapter number eight. And tonight, I'd like to talk to you just for a few minutes about that on how you can truly, truly, truly experience the joy of the Lord. But get this, it starts with humility. It starts with humility. Solomon gives us four things in Ecclesiastes chapter eight that produces humility in our lives. And I'd like to go over them very quickly with you tonight. I won't be long. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to write this one down. This is very important. Acknowledge what you have not conquered. Acknowledge what you have not conquered. Look with me at verse number one. It says, who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine and the boldness of his face shall change. Uh, now we're warned in another one of Solomon's writings, I believe it's in Proverbs chapter number uh, three and verse number seven, be not wise in thine own eyes. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know what those verses are saying? You know what, you could almost take and write this in the margin of your Bible right next to Ecclesiastes eight verse one and Proverbs chapter three and verse number seven. Ready? Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't act like you're the pinnacle of all information. Don't be a know-it-all. Uh, a true wise man knows some things, but knows that he doesn't know everything. I'll do it again. I'll land this plane slowly. A true wise man knows some things, but knows that he doesn't know everything. Solomon is teaching us in these verses that a wise man rejoices in what he does know, but he doesn't stress about what he doesn't know. His countenance is never depressed. His face is brightened. His bright, he's brightened. His face is brightened because he's thankful for what he does know, but he's also excited about the opportunity to learn. He has a hunger for knowledge and acknowledging that he doesn't know everything brings him joy because it just provides another opportunity for him to learn. Here's what Solomon is teaching us here. His wisdom is found in acknowledging that he can position himself to learn some things and that makes him happy. That brings him joy. I've never met a know-it-all that has experienced the true joy of the Lord. Why is that? There's a lot of stress in knowing everything. There's a lot of stress in presenting like you know everything. But how freeing it is for you to say, hey, I know some things, but there's some things that I do not know, and I'm excited to learn. The first step in learning something isn't the information. It's acknowledging that you don't have the information. Some of you need to write that down. The first step in, in, in gleaning information and, 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 and expanding on your wisdom and your knowledge is not the information itself, but simply coming to the humbling experience and saying, I don't know that thing. You ever try to teach somebody something who's already got it all figured out? You ever been in that position before? Where you're trying to explain something to somebody and they've already got it figured out, quotation marks? It's, it's a painful experience. I've been there before, but hey, before we're too hard on that individual, how, must, how many of us have missed out on opportunities to learn some things because we thought we already had it figured out? 
I mean, that, that describes most of us. Why? Because we think we're the pinnacle of all information. We think that we're the wisest of the wise. We're the elite. There's, uh, there's, we know everything there is to know about a subject. And you know what that is? Stressful. Solomon is teaching us that if you want to have joy and happiness, it starts with humility. You must acknowledge that you don't have everything conquered. There's some things that you don't know. There's some things that you're not privy to. First Corinthians chapter eight and verse number one, Paul puts it this way. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Paul is saying that if any man thinks he knows anything, he really doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows. He really doesn't, uh, he's not as privy to the information as he thought he was. If you think that you know everything you know, need to know about a situation or, or a subject, Paul says you really probably don't know half as much as you think you know. It's a humbling experience. It's a humbling experience, and that's what we're talking about tonight is, is being a humble enough to be happy. Whenever you acknowledge that you don't have it all figured out and you don't have everything conquered and you're not the pinnacle of information, you're not the information hub, it's a humbling experience and it lends itself to freedom and happiness. Uh, my dad, he, he's the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church and uh, he announced to the church last September that he's gonna be retiring. By the way, pray for my church if you would. They're looking for a pastor. Uh, my dad has been a faithful man and pastoring faithfully there for over 25 years and uh, he understands that uh, he's at the latter times of his ministry and I am thankful that my dad is the kind of guy who's not gonna leave the church high and dry. He's gonna make sure that the right man comes along and they're interviewing a number of different people but nonetheless, pray for my church as they seek a, a pastor. But uh, with that in mind, I've been talking to my dad a lot recently and I feel like my adult life the more and more I, I get integrated into ministry and the older I become the more and more my conversations with my dad just boil down to the things of God and I love it I love it I'm closer now to my dad than I've ever been in my life and just a few months ago we were talking about this transition and how uh, my dad's going to be stepping off the scene and and there's a lot of question marks but he knows that he's got an expiration date in regards to uh, his tenure there at Cornerstone Baptist Church and so man I, I love my dad as a preacher I think he's one of the greatest preachers and all of the word of God and he has a hunger for the word of God as he preaches you can just see the word of God just emanates through his preaching and I'm like man dad uh, uh, what's your preaching schedule going to look like over the next couple of weeks with all these question marks are you starting new series are you are you going to be just dusting some old series off and preaching something that maybe you've preached before my dad's preached I mean uh, thousands of messages and that every single one is a long one so, I mean, he's got a lot to choose from. He could easily just pick out something and, and he could uh, preach something. He could start a new series or whatever. And, and I was like, man, dad, is that something you're gonna do? He's no, I'm excited, son. I'm gonna be starting this new series. And he's talking about the importance of a shepherd and how a shepherd uh, is gonna transition. And I mean, it's really, really cool. But he's talking about this and I'm like, dad, I mean, you do realize that you probably have less days uh, than you have days to preach. And he said, I understand that, son. But every single time I get behind the pulpit, I look at it as an opportunity to learn and to build and to advance as a preacher. And here, here I am, 27 years old, and I, I say, um, that doesn't seem realistic because you're 62 years old. You only have a couple of months left in the pastorate. I kind of feel like what you are is what the people get. But he, he disagreed with me. Why? He looks at every opportunity behind the pulpit for him to advance and to him to build as a preacher. You know what that is? Humility. That's humility and saying, man, I don't have it all figured out and I'm looking at every single situation as an opportunity to develop and an opportunity to learn. 
And can I tell you something about my dad? I've known my dad for a long time and he's happier now in his ministry than he ever has been. There's not a, a sense of dependence on the pastorate. He's excited to continue to pastor as long as he can be effective, but he's very free. He's very free. And you know how he got there? Humility. Understands that he doesn't have it all figured out. And he looks at every single opportunity as an opportunity to learn. If we're going to be happy, we must acknowledge that we don't have everything conquered. Uh, something that I am learning. It's continual. It's not something I've learned. Something that I'm learning this, this Sunday, not today, but a week from this Sunday, March 1st, will be uh, Rebecca and I, we've been here for five years this Sunday. I, I can't even believe we've been here that long, but we've been here five years, and I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to learn, especially at the beginning of my ministry here, my ministry with, one, uh, with you guys and with this church, with Wooden Valley Baptist Church, something that I really learned heavily in the beginning years is that I don't have everything figured out in regards to ministry, and that has come at a humbling experience. I, I, and I, I, I'm just, I'm, some of you, you're pretty hard on me sometimes, but I don't believe I was arrogant and prideful, but I was zealous, I was excited, I had all the great new ideas. And it's not that I've lost my zeal, but the more and more that I mature with you guys as a church, the more I realize I don't have a lot figured out. The more that I realize uh, that I don't have everything figured out in regards to ministry, in regards to the pastor, in regards to fatherhood, in regards to being a husband, there's a lot that I don't have it figured out. And the more and more I learn that, the happier I become. It's freeing. Again, it's, str it's stressful to be a know-it-all. But it is so freeing to position yourself in, in, in really the reality's position and saying, I don't have everything figured out. But that just means that there's opportunities for me to learn. The more I realize that I don't know everything, the more uh, humble I become, the more happy I become. We could, we could summarize it this way. This point could be summarized this way. Ready? Teachability equals humility equals happiness. You catch it? Write it down. Teachability equals humility equals happiness. Ask yourself that question tonight. Do you have a teachable spirit or do you have everything conquered? If your spirit is Open book. If your spirit is, I don't have everything figured out, but I'm willing to learn, I can tell you it's a freeing experience. The more humble you are, the more you acknowledge that you don't have everything figured out, the more happy you can become. If we're gonna be happy, we must acknowledge what we haven't conquered. Here's the second one. Adapt to what you cannot control. Adapt to what you cannot control. Uh, all of us, whether passive or active, like to be in control. Uh, you say, okay, Lamar, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to call foul on that statement. Maybe you type A personalities like to be in control, but us type B personalities don't like to be in control. Hey, that's a lie from the pits of hell. You know why? We like to be in control because we like to be maybe the center of attention and we like to be the ones with our hands on the steering wheel. But type B, per type B personalities, you know what they like to control? They like to control their inner circle. They like to be in control of their surroundings and who they're in exposure to and who they're not in exposure to. So it doesn't matter whether actively or passively, type A or type B, all of us want control. But isn't it funny how God will give us things in life to simply just derail us and show us how much control we really don't have? We don't. Uh, we're not in control of a lot. There's a lot that we're not in control. And so uh, he says in verse number two, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandments and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand uh, not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth. 
uh, whatsoever pleaseth him. If you get anything out of the message, get that. That we serve a God, and I'm not, I'm not putting him in a position of vindiction, but just know that God's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to do what pleases him. Uh, verse 4, it says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whatso keepest the commandments, excuse me, whoso keepest the commandments shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment, because every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of a man is great upon him, for he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? Solomon is teaching us that as life presents itself with situations and circumstances that are beyond our control, here's how we should respond. In humility and learn to adapt. Did you get it? He's, he's saying, hey, listen, there's some things that you're not going to be able to control and you have one of two choices. You can either stress out and fret over the things that you cannot control or you can respond in humility, adapt, and find joy. You can find happiness. What situations, Lamar? How about this one? How many of you got your, your preliminary election ballots in the mail this week? We really don't have control over the government. Some of us think that we do, judge, uh, judging by our Facebook accounts and all the things that we choose to post but we really don't have as much control over the government as we think we do. And don't get me wrong, I think that it's, it's the responsibility of the American citizen to exercise their rights as American citizens and to vote. I think that you ought to vote. But let me just let you in on a little secret. He does what he pleaseth. And he's going to elect who he wants to elect. And so in a very real sense, your vote doesn't count nearly as much as you think that it does. And so you can, choose, you can choose to stress out about it. You can choose to fret about it. And I'm not saying that you ought not be concerned. It's okay to be concerned. But if you choose to stress, you're stressing about something that's not in your hands. It's not within your control. And maybe I should be saying this after November 6th and the person who you didn't vote for gets elected into office because that's when it becomes real. Because just as God can choose to elect somebody that he wants to elect that, that we would approve of, he could elect to put somebody into office that we don't approve of. But you know what? He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He does what pleases him. What about your job? Your job's another one. I, I, I'm all for uh, displaying character in the workforce. And I can tell you, firsthand experience, that if you apply yourself and you do what you're supposed to do and you exercise good Christian behavior, uh, that there's, there's a probability that you'll move up in the business and be honored. But sometimes we work for a deadbeat of a boss. Don't raise your hand. I shouldn't have raised my hand. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. How do I dig myself out of that one? Uh, but in, in a very real sense, those of you who work in the secular realm, you understand that just because you behave like you think you're, gonna, you're supposed to behave and just because you show up 10 minutes early and stay 10 minutes late doesn't mean that your boss is going to recognize your behavior and your efforts. You know what? That's beyond your control. You can choose to be bitter about it and resentful about it and salty about it. Teenagers, we talked about that this morning in regards to an overbearing employer that's going to require of you, uh, 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 he's going to require of you results that you're not even able to perform, but to add insult to injury, he doesn't give you the resources necessary to accomplish the task. Hey, all of us are going to work from time to time with somebody who does not recognize, I see some of you shaking your heads, you're going to work for somebody who does not recognize your Christian character, and you know what? That's okay. 
That's beyond your control. You know what you can do? Respond in humility and learn to adapt. We just got back from marriage retreat. You can't, you can't control your spouse nearly as much as you think you can. Nor should you. They have a relationship with God, and I understand that as a man of the house, I have a responsibility to lead my children and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But just understand that my control over my wife only goes so far. And I'm saying this with a good relationship, but some of you are in a relationship with your significant other, and there's, there's a lack of control. And you get angry, you get vindictive, you get bitter, you get resentful. But you know what? It's beyond your control. And I'm not saying that you should ignore the problem, but I'm simply saying that you can either acknowledge that it's beyond your control, respond in humility and find joy and happiness and adapt, or you can stress out about it, you can lose sleep over it, and you can try as hard as you can to control something that's beyond your control. Why not respond? Uh, in humility, just learn to adapt because that's where joy and happiness lies. Half the time, we can't even control ourselves. Yet we're so caught up in the relationships that we're in in regards to work, in regards to the government, in regards to church, in regards to our spouse. It's all beyond our control. We can either learn from it, learn to adapt and respond in humility and find joy, or you can stress out about it and continue to try to control something you'll never be able to control. Solomon gives a picture of a king in verse number two down through verse number seven. I won't read it again, but here he gives the picture of a king and he might not be a good king, but he's a king nonetheless. He might not be a king who has all the wits about him and he might, might, might not be a king who's displaying Christian character, but nonetheless, he's put in the position of a king and Solomon shows us that although you cannot control the mindset and the mandate of a king, you can be humble and learn to adapt without compromising. Need to throw that last part in there. I'm not saying to compromise your faith, but I am saying that we have a responsibility to adapt to the situations at hand, respond in humility, and that's where we're going to find joy and happiness. I think of the example of Daniel. I, I didn't have the opportunity to be in your class, Brother Horn, that you taught just a few months ago, but I won't forget what you said in, in, a, uh, in that first Sunday where you were addressing the congregation, addressing the church. You said that Daniel is one of two individuals in the Bible, other being Joseph, that really nothing negative is said about them. That doesn't mean they were sinless, but that just means that God thought it more necessary to show you the positive and the negative. But I mean, think about the kings that Daniel had to work for. Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, uh, you taught the class, tell me. Did Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar do anything that Daniel didn't approve of? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we know Daniel and the lion's den. You know why he ended up there? Because he was put in a situation where the king was trying to get him to compromise his faith. But do you know that at the end of Daniel's life, you'll find that he has, he has reached political dominance and for 65 years, he's in that position. Why is he in that position? Because he compromised his faith? Oh, definitely not. But you know what he did do? Responded humility and learned to adapt to his situations around him. You'll find that Daniel is a happy man. You'll find that in the lion's den, Daniel had joy. You'll find uh, that all throughout Daniel's life, he was able to display true joy. Why? Because the situations around him were so favorable. No, because he learned to adapt and he responded in humility. Solomon admonishes the reader to obey the authority that God has placed in his life, even if they don't like the authority. Why? 
I counsel, look at verse 2, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandments and that in regard of the oath of God. What is Solomon saying? He's saying the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 13 and verse number one and two. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God, the powers that be, uh, that be are ordained of God. In other words, in other words, he does what pleases him. He does what makes God happy. He does what's a part of his agenda, even when it's contrary to your agenda. Verse two, it says, whatsoever, excuse me, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And so if you're working in, and I'm not talking about violating uh, uh, your Christian character or violating the word of God, but when you work in contrast to relationships, to government, to church, to whatever God has placed and divinely orchestrated and ordained in your life, you are working against God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Here's what Paul's saying and here's what Solomon is saying. I may not be able to control my job, my citizenship, the election, situations around me, but responding in humility will lend me to adapt to my surroundings, thus resulting in my happiness. We're not happy because our situation is favorable. We're not happy because uh, the situation is conducive of the best case scenario that we thought out. We're happy because we choose to accept that, that, that everything under the sun is in control of the one who is under heaven. You say, Lamar, how can you get that from what Paul said and what, uh, uh, what uh, uh, Paul said and what Solomon said? Look at the latter part of verse number two in Romans chapter number uh, 13. It says, and they that, re- uh, excuse me, uh, uh, resist shall receive to themselves, what's that next word? Damnation. Very simple. Go home tonight and either Google or get, get out your thesaur- thesaurus and I want you to look up antonyms for the word damnation. You know what you'll find? Two words, joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. You want joy and happiness? Learn to adapt. If we're going to be happy, we must acknowledge that we haven't conquered everything. Don't be a know-it-all. Acknowledge that you're in a position to learn. Acknowledge that you don't have it all figured out, but also we must learn to adapt to what we cannot control. Here's the third one. Accept what you cannot change. Accept what you cannot change. There are some things in life that we cannot change. Is that a newsflash to anybody? Or did you know that? There's some things in life that we cannot change. He goes over a couple of them, and I'll highlight a few of them. Number one, can't change death. Death, look at verse number eight. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. (laughs) And hath the, uh, excuse me, neither hath he power in the day of death. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how the day of death is better than the day of birth. Solomon says that there's no man that has the power over the spirit. He doesn't have power over the day of death and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Solomon uses the illustration of a man who dies at war. But the takeaway is simply this, that there's no man in history that's ever had the power over when he's gonna be caught up in eternity. No man has that power. No man has that ability the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and that's all it says about that. It doesn't tell you that you're going to know. It doesn't tell you that you're going to know the hour or even the method, but we do know this. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. It's something that we cannot change. We, what, are we, what should our response be? Accept it. Accept that you're going to die. I encourage you to come back next week, by the way. You're going to be so encouraged because all we're going to do is talk about death. Invite a friend. It's going to be great. 
But seriously, we can't, we, we can't change it. Accept it. Understand it. Make peace with your creator before you meet him. I wish that they were here tonight, but I was going to share this illustration a number of weeks ago, but I wasn't, I didn't preach on the Sunday I thought I was going to preach on. And so Brother Gascoigne, I love when people come and give me feedback, even when it's negative. I mean that seriously, sincerely. I appreciate it when you come and you say, hey, Lamar, that was kind of a dud. Because it helps me learn. It helps me advance. I'm not a know-it-all. Uh, but Brother, Brother Gascoigne has come up to me many times in this series and he's shared with me a number of different things. And so as we were talking about life and death, and a few weeks ago we were talking about uh, really the, the validity of death and how it just, it awaits everybody uh, and you don't know when it's gonna happen. You don't know when it's gonna transpire or take place. He told me about a friend of his. His name is Bob the General Porter. Do you have a picture of him up there? You can dim the lights a little bit. I can, I can preach for just a second. This is Bob the General Porter. That's a dear friend of Brother Gascoigne's. Works in the lumber business or worked in the lumber business and obviously that's how they uh, came to know one another and Brother Gascoigne came over and he showed me that picture and he said, does that look like a man that's afraid of death? And I said, no, it doesn't. And he took that picture on his birthday, the day after he found out that he had heart failure and he only had a few months to live. And uh, Brother Gascoigne got to know this man before he was saved or before uh, Bill Porter, uh, uh, Bob Porter was saved. And he said that the man that he was prior to salvation was not the man that he was after salvation. He said that he was a brawler, that he was abrasive, that he was offensive and that uh, he was very short with people. But I don't know, a new creature came in uh, when he accepted Jesus Christ and how old things were passed away and all things became new in the life of Bob Porter and how he lived life with true joy and happiness. And he talked about how he called him on November 5th of, uh, of last year of two, uh, 2019. And he said, hey, Brother Gascoigne, just letting you know, I have heart failure. And they said that I have about three months to live. You can turn the lights back on. He said, I have about three months to live. He said, I'm going to come over. He came over the next day. That's when he took that picture on his 84th birthday, November 6th. And I, I don't have it written down exactly what he said, but Brother Gascoigne said, he said something along the lines of this. Hey, Rob, don't worry about me. I'm good with my Savior and he's good with me. You know what that is? That's humility and understanding that he cannot control death. So he learned to accept death. It's one of those things that awaits every single man. The Bible tells us over and over again. So we can either stress out about it. We're going to talk about it next week. We can either choose to ignore it or accept it. But regardless, it doesn't change the outcome, does it? The only thing that changes is your happiness. Accepting things you cannot change like death. Here's another one, disappointment. Disappointment in verse number nine, it says, all this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt, to his own hurt. Solomon reminds us that there are situations in time, times in every single person's life where someone is gonna disappoint you. And he says in this verse, it might be yourself to your own hurt. What, what do you do when people disappoint you? It's inevitable, by the way. It's something that you cannot change. What are you going to do when people disappoint you? I know, Lamar, I've got the answer. I am going to simply just be very selective with my inner crowd, and I'm only going to select people that will never offend me. Newsflash, everyone will offend you. Everyone can offend you, and everyone will offend you. All right, I'll, I'll one-up you, Lamar. I've got the answer. Pastor mentioned it this morning. I'm just gonna isolate myself from everybody else. I'm gonna push everybody else aside and then no one will disappoint me. One big problem with that and that's no one will disappoint you more than yourself. We disappoint ourselves all the time. 
So what do we do? Accept it. Accept it. I'm going to talk about this again next week, but I'm not talking about being Wednesday off of, off of the Adams family and just looking at everything like you can't control it and I can't control death. I can't control the fact that people disappoint me, but I'm simply saying that those offenses will come and there's things that are beyond your realm of control and things that you cannot change. You can choose to stress about it or you can choose to trust him, respond in humility and accept it. Byproduct of that is true joy. Here's another one, deception. Deception, look at verse number 10. And so I saw the wicked buried. This is an interesting word picture he paints here. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This also is vanity. Now the context of this is very important, but it's a very interesting picture that he paints here. Solomon gives us a picture of this scoundrel who frequents the temple often. Kind of sounds like church. I'm talking this guy does wickedness in the city, but it says that he frequents the place of holiness often. And so at his funeral, people give his eulogy and many are in attendance as they mourn the death of this saint. Oh, this saint, I can't even believe that he's gone. What a good man that he was, all the while forgetting the evil that he had done. Is that not what it says? It talks about that. You say, that's not fair. No, that's life. That's life. We live in a world that is deceptive. It's a part of the very nature of the world in which we live in. And so we cannot change the fact that we live in a world that is deceptive. So what do we do, Lamar? Adapt, learn to accept it, respond in humility, and find true joy. Here's another one, defiance. Very close in proximity to, uh, 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 very close in proximity to deception. But look at verse number 11. I read this just a few weeks ago, but it says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Pause for a moment. Here's exactly what happens. Evil men do evil continually. And because judgment is not executed speedily, they continue to do evil, and those jokers think they got away with it. They think, uh, does that not sound like the world we live in today? I mean, they do evil continually. Why? Because judgment is not executed speedily. Look what it says in verse number 12. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow because, excuse me, because he feareth not before God. Solomon is saying that there are people who are defying God, who are deceptive and manipulative, and some of them even hate God, and it seems like they're getting away with it. Uh, again, that sounds like Christian America. That sounds like the nation we live in today, where they, uh, the evil men do evil continually, and it seems like God has turned a blind eye to wickedness. Can I tell you something? He gets the final say. He gets the final say, and just as Brother uh, uh, Decker mentioned last week in, in regards to the Psalm of Asaph in Psalm number 75, uh, 73, I walked in and it feels like the righteous are prospering and the, excuse me, the wicked are prospering and the, uh, the, the righteous are going hungry, but then I go into the sanctuary of the Lord, I go into the presence of the Lord, then I understood I their end. In other words, God's going to get the final say. A lot of the times we feel like Jonah. Got the Jonah syndrome and we're sitting a fetal position in the corner saying, well, I'm just the only person that's serving God anymore. I'm just the only person that's doing right. Hey, let me tell you something. Number one, no, you're not. And number two, God's in control. Solomon says that you better have enough humility to accept, excuse me, uh, Solomon says that you better have enough humility to accept that uh, that's, that's what it looks like under the sun. That's the perception under the sun because under the sun, we like to keep score, don't we? 
We keep a mark of every offense. We keep a mark of every point. We keep a mark of every infraction. But let me tell you something. We like to keep score, but God likes to keep a record. God keeps a record. God, nothing, God is not turning a blind eye to wickedness. God knows full and well what's happening in our, our nation today. He knows what's happening with society today. And let me tell you something. He gets the final say. And the Bible says that he's going to judge every man according to his what? Works. So if you know that, why lose your joy over fretting about stuff that's beyond your control? Why lose your joy about things that you cannot change? Why lose your joy over things that are beyond the realms of your control? God's going to get the last word. What what should our response be? Accept it. Respond in humility. Accept it. Learn to adapt and find true joy, true happiness. Accept things you cannot change like death and disappointment, deception, and defiance. Here's the last one. Appreciate what you cannot comprehend. Appreciate what you cannot comprehend. Look at verse number 16. And from here on out, for the next couple of weeks, we're almost done. I'm gonna make it to chapter number 12. You're gonna see after next week a steady incline where we start to boil everything down to the point of Ecclesiastes. But here's a little, here's a little appetizer right before he gets to the main course. Verse 16, when I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness that is done upon the earth. For also there is that neither day nor night uh, seeth sleep with his eyes. In other words, he's saying, I've lost a lot of sleep in trying to attain wisdom. Verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find, cannot find out the work that is done under the sun because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it, yea, farther Though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Here's Solomon's final words in regards to humility. He says this. He was so hungry for knowledge and wisdom that he realized that he'd save himself a lot of time by simply going to the source of wisdom. By the way, that's a, that's a good idea. You want to try to attain as much wisdom as you can? He says, you know what? I'm going to go to the very source of wisdom. But his motive was different than, uh, than that of what you'd say amen for. Because he wants to go to the source of wisdom so that he can attain as much wisdom as he can attain and not, not be overwhelmed with the, uh, with the uncomprehendable. But nonetheless, he goes and he tries to attain as much wisdom as he possibly can. Uh, and so he, he's so hungry for this wisdom that he goes to the very source of wisdom because he understood that God was the source of wisdom. But in doing so... Solomon was humbled like he was never humbled before. Why is that? Verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. He can't find it out. He can't attain it. Let's put it in modern day vernacular. I sought wisdom, so I sought God, and I bit off more than I could chew. The more Solomon found out about the works of God, the more it drew him to a spirit of humility, the lower it drew him, uh, the more Solomon knew of the works of God, the less that Solomon thought about his, look up here, wisdom. Less he thought about himself, the more he thought about his God. Yet farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Solomon is saying that we can never hope to comprehend it because we weren't created to. We weren't created to. We try to uh, get a glimpse of God's glory. And we were not created in our finite beatings to be able to comprehend his glory and his majesty. 
Ask Abraham. Abraham desired to see the glory of God and God said, I'll show you a glimpse, but you can't handle the whole thing. Shows him his hind parts and he couldn't even handle that. Solomon is saying that we can never hope to comprehend the glory of God because we were never created to. Therefore, we can glory and appreciate what we cannot comprehend. French philosopher Blaise Pascal once said this, if there were no obscurity, man would not feel his corruption. If there was no light, man could not hope for a cure. Thus, it is not only right, but useful for us that God should be partly concealed, partly revealed, since it is equally dangerous for man to know God without knowing his wretchedness as to know his wretchedness without knowing God. God doesn't reveal himself to us because if he did, again, we couldn't handle it. Therefore, he just shows us a glimpse of his glory. He shows us a glimpse of his holiness. He shows us a glimpse of his majesty. And you know what we ought to do? Appreciate what we cannot comprehend. He is holy and we are unholy. Solomon says that the more uh, he apprehended the truth, the more lowly he became in knowing the extent of God's majesty, the more humble he became and the more happy we can become when we learn to appreciate what we cannot comprehend. Solomon tells us that if we're going to be happy, we must acknowledge what we have not conquered. Don't be a know-it-all. Understand that there are things that you don't know, and you, can I just tell you by experience, it's a freeing, it's a freeing feeling simply to just admit that you don't know everything and glory in what you do know, but look at every single opportunity as an opportunity to learn. We must adapt to what we cannot control. And my, oh my, how much there is that we cannot control. All those things that I just named, but man, just to name a few, we can't control the government, we can't control our spouse, sometimes we can't control our jobs, we can't control the situations around us. We can choose to stress about it or we can choose to let it go, accept it, adapt, and find humbleness and happiness. We must accept what we cannot change. We must appreciate what we cannot comprehend. God gives us all the resources necessary to live a life full of happiness. And he wants us to be happy. God desires that we have happiness. And you know what? He's given us all the resources necessary for us to experience true joy and true happiness. But the question is, are you humble enough to be happy? Are you humble enough to be happy? You stand your feet. We'll have a verse of invitation tonight and have Miss Jordan.